In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Last week, uh, we started the, the month of Kiach, the Sundays of the month of Kiach. And as we said, we read the entire um, chapter of Luke chapter 1, um, which speaks about several events each of the weeks uh, of this month um, in preparation for the Feast of the Nativity, where we are celebrating the incarnation of Christ. The first week, we read last time about the Annunciation of the birth of St. John the Baptist um, to Zacharias the priest. This week, we read about the Annunciation of Christ to St. Mary. Next week, we read about when St. Mary visits Elizabeth. And then the fourth week of the month, we read about the birth of St. John the Baptist. And then, of course, the Feast of the Nativity, we read about the birth of Christ himself. Um, one of the famous works um, that was written in the church by uh, St. Athanasius the Apostolic is called On the Incarnation, and it is a defense and an explanation for why the Incarnation had to happen and why is it that it happened the way that it did. And so um, last week we spoke about the first part of this book, the on, in, on the Incarnation, um, specifically about the creation and the fall and the renewal of humanity through the Incarnation of Christ. And we spoke also about what, what St. Athanasius called the divine dilemma, which was the idea that after the, 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 the creation had been corrupted through sin, what were the options that God had? And this dilemma that he had that he could either destroy everything uh, and start over, or he could just ignore the sin that had been committed as though nothing had happened. Um, and of course, we know that um, God did not choose either of these options. He chose a third option, which was the, the incarnation of himself as a human being to heal the humanity and to accept the punishment for sin upon himself and to restore us again to himself. This time, we're going to continue studying the next section um, of the book, um, where he, he specifically talks about the death of Christ and why is it that Christ had to die in the way that he did um, on the cross. And then also, um, we'll speak a little about the resurrection. So what are some of the reasons or the characteristics of the, of the death of Christ and why did it have to be on a cross? Why did it have to be some public humiliating death? So the first thing he says is the death of Christ had to be public. It could not have been private because some people ask the question, why is it that he could not have died in a private place? Why he had to die in front of everyone um, to be seen? He says in chapter four, surely it would have been more suitable for him to have laid aside his body with honor than to endure so shameful a death. We see actually in the life of Christ that even though he is a king and a creator and he had the ability to choose for himself any kind of life that he wanted, from the very beginning um, he chose for himself humiliation. Actually, when, when we speak about the incarnation, the, the nativity, um, even his birth in a very uh, meek place as a manger with the animals, from the very beginning, he was humiliated in his life all the way up to the very end. And even though he had the power and the ability to do anything he wanted to do and to provide for himself any kind of life and any kind of death as well, and yet he always chose for himself something that was um, kind of not suitable for someone of, who is God, who is divine, who was infinite. Um, he's saying here it would have been more suitable for him to have laid his body uh, with honor, laid aside his body with honor, some kind of more honorable kind of death, maybe a hero's death, a death where he is defending someone, a, a death where he is saving someone, a death where he is doing something other than being um, consigned to be with criminals up on the cross and to be executed. And yet this was the death that he chose. Um, others said, what about a natural death? 
Why is it that he would not have chosen simply to die of old age, just like anyone else who could live to the end of their life and die? And yet, this is what St. Athanasius says. He says, if he had died quietly in his bed, like other men, it would have looked as if he did so in accordance with his nature, as though he was indeed no more than other men. Meaning the reason that we as human beings, we die of old age is because of our weakness, our frailty, our infirmity. And yet the Lord had none of these things. He was not infirm. He was not, he, he, his, his, his body was not weak. So he chose for himself uh, a death that was public. He chose for himself one where uh, he was visible, not something that he was far away, just somewhere privately um, by himself. Everything that the Lord did in his life as part of his ministry um, was public. It was something that was known. And it had to be seen that he had died so that people would know that his resurrection was actually genuine and true. How is it that if, if he would have died in a private place and the people said, ah, oh, he died, um, and then now he is resurrected. Well, how even do you know that it is that he died? It had to have been that everyone saw him die and that his, die, his death could not have been fabricated. His death was indeed known and, and, and acknowledged by everyone so that later on when he comes in his resurrection, this is indeed truly a miracle. This isn't something that anyone could have argued against. Also, he speaks about the dishonor of his death. Why did he not choose a more honorable type of public death? He says, but even this would have given ground for suspicion that his power over death was limited to the particular kind of death which he chose for himself, and that again would furnish excuse for disbelieving the resurrection. Death came to his body, therefore, not from himself, but from enemy action, in order, that the, in order that the Savior might utterly abolish in whatever form they offered it to him. A generous wrestler, virile and strong, does not himself choose his antagonists, lest it should be thought that of some of them he is afraid. What does that mean? It means that God had to go up against like the worst possible kind of enemy. He had to take on himself the worst possible kind of death to prove that he could conquer even that. If someone chooses his own opponents, in the example he gave with the wrestler, if a wrestler chooses his own opponent, then he can choose an opponent that he knows he can win. And so he will look good because he is defeating his opponent, but in reality, he, he's choosing it for himself and he is making sure that he appears strong in front of everyone and he will never choose to fight someone who is stronger than him. But here, when, when Christ is, is being subjected to the attacks of others and to what Satan wants to impose on him, the kind of death and humiliation, then what Christ is showing is that he can take on any enemy, even the worst enemy, even the most shameful type of death. This does not prevent him from, from rising again. This does not prevent him. It is, it is not something that contains him. It is not something that, um, that, that shows any kind of weakness in him. And so this is, a, this is the dishonorable death that he chose because it was the worst possible death that he could have had, and it was done in front of everyone in a very public way. So here in this chapter, addressing this, uh, this death of Christ, why did the death have to be public, and why did the death have to be dishonorable um, and, 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 and shameful in the eyes of, of people? He goes on then to speak about some of the characteristics of the resurrection. The first is the timing of the resurrection. Um, so after he speaks about why the death had to happen a certain way, he's then rationalizing that Christ could have been resurrected immediately 
Actually, Christ could have been resurrected instantly on the cross immediately after he had died. And actually, if he had done so, maybe the people who were there would see him as being resurrected. But he is saying that the time between the death and the resurrection had to be a good amount of time so that no one could think that he hadn't actually died. They saw him on the cross. They saw him dead. They saw him buried in the tomb. And he remained in the tomb for a good amount of time for the three days and then afterward when he comes out resurrected no one can claim that he didn't actually die because he was in the tomb for a, for a good amount of time even his body would have started to rot as if he was any other person right so when people then see him after that amount of time resurrected walking around interacting with people then no one can say oh well maybe he didn't actually die this is actually one of the modern theories that some people who are um, critics of Christianity and the resurrection that today they push this kind of theory um, One of the theories is called the swoon theory. The swoon theory means he didn't actually die. He just fainted He, he did not really um, die, but he appeared to be dead Right and and then he was buried but then because his wounds were not fatal He happened to be able to get up again and to exit the tomb and to go around Of course, this is a ridiculous theory because even if someone had swooned like this um, Let's say when they get up again from their, their 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 state of being unconscious They are not going to come and be uh, appearing healthy and strong that the people are then going to say about them This man is 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 has the power of God and he is he is mighty and he is uh, powerful No, he's going to be someone who's half dead He's going to be someone who's like not able to function and to walk and he needs medical attention But of course we know this is not um, what happened so the timing of the resurrection showed that he was indeed dead, and he indeed rose from the dead again. We also see that Christ abolished the fear of death because his conquest over death and his promise that we share in the resurrection with, with him means that now none of us have to fear this death. Maybe the number one thing that people are afraid of in their entire life is death, afraid of that moment where our life as we know it here on the earth ceases to be, and what is going to happen afterward. Prior to the resurrection of Christ, this was indeed a fearful thing, something that was very unknown to us, something that we dreaded and we do not want to approach it. And we don't even want to consider it or think about it because when we do, it brings us fear. And yet when we see in the life of Christ how he was able to conquer death so that death had no hold over him, so also he promises for us that we also will, have, we will not be subject to death. He says, but now that the Savior has raised his body, Death is no longer terrible, but all those who believe in Christ tread it underfoot as nothing and prefer to die rather than to deny their faith in Christ, knowing full well that when they die, they do not perish, but live indeed and become incorruptible through the resurrection. When we read about all the stories of the martyrs in the church, what is it that compelled them to martyr them? Many, many of them actually went sought after martyrdom. They would go into the governor and they would declare openly that I am a Christian, knowing that by doing so, it is a death sentence for them. The reason they were able to do so is because they were completely unafraid of death. They saw that death had been conquered, that it wasn't something to be feared, and that the Lord had, had, had set the path for them, that when they follow in his path, that they will pass through death without any harm and, and, and be resurrected with him and live with him for eternity. And this is what 
drove the faith of the church. And this is what drives our faith today. It is our faith in the resurrection. That whatever this world has in it, it is nothing compared to the world to come because we continue to live. And not only do we continue to live in a, in a, in a status of weakness or in a status of pain like this life and all of the pains and the sufferings we experience. No, we, we, we live in a life that is glorious, a life with Christ, a life that has nothing bad in it and that we, we live a life of joy for eternity. So Christ abolished this power of death so that we no longer are afraid. But he also abolished the spiritual death. What is the spiritual death? The spiritual death is the death that comes because of sin. The death that came to Adam and Eve when they sinned against God was not only a physical death, because actually even though physical death came to them in the form of eventually their life ended, but in the moment when they sinned against God, there came the spiritual death. The spiritual death is the separation from God. It is, it is, it is living apart from him. And having lived apart from him, not being fulfilled with all of the needs that we need that come from God alone. Our relationship with God is severed. So the, the resurrection of the Lord manifested in us this uh, real power, not only to overcome the physical death, but also to be overcome the spiritual death. This is why in the baptism, we are dying and being resurrected again in a spiritual way. Our nature is dying. Our old nature is dying, and we are given a new nature. And this power of the resurrection is being manifested in us. He says also in chapter 5, He it is who has destroyed death and freely graced us all with incorruption through the promise of the resurrection, having raised his own body as its first fruits and displayed it by the sign of the cross as the monument to his victory over death and its corruption. So through the resurrection of Christ, not only are we not afraid of the ultimate death, but we can live free from death, free from spiritual death even now. And so we as believers, as Christians, from the moment of our baptism through the rest of our life, we are being sanctified. We are approaching God more and more. We are being filled with him more and more. We experience the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in us because the death that had come to us and come to our nature through the sin of man, through Adam and Eve, now has been abolished. It is not something we have to suffer with. This is why we see again in the lives of the saints, they live a life of virtue, and we are all called to live a life of virtue. How is it that we live in peace in the midst of a very um, stressful and anxious-filled world? How is it that we live with a sense of confidence and trust in God? How is it that we are successful and able to fulfill all the commandments of God? How is it that we have love for one another? How is it that we place others before ourselves? All of this is because the pangs of the spiritual death are not found in us, that we are healthy, spiritually resurrected, in the waters of baptism and can live the rest of our lives sanctified. So um, Christ not only abolished the, the, our fear of the, the physical death, but he also abolished the spiritual death, the separation from God that happened in the fall. So very briefly, we spoke today about two main points. The first was the death of Christ, that his death had to be a public death. 
um, in order for all to see that he had truly died and that it had to be a dishonorable death because it was not a death he chose for himself, but it was a a death that his enemy chose for him to show that even the worst kind of attack, he can, he can, um, he, he can, he can handle it. He can, he can withstand it. He can overcome it because there is no adversary that is stronger than him. The second point we mentioned was about the resurrection, the timing of the resurrection. it, It could not have been immediately after the death so that all could acknowledge that he indeed did die. He was put in the tomb and he remained there for several days. And then the resurrection was, was showing indeed as a proof that he was dead and now he is alive again. Christ abolished the fear of death, so we no longer have to fear the physical death that, all, that awaits all of us. And then also he abolished the spiritual death, reuniting us and restoring us again to him. So um, God willing, next time and the following week as well, we will continue studying in the book on the incarnation. Again, I encourage everyone to read it. It is a very beautiful book with many, many insights about why is it that Christ had to be incarnate? Because this is a question that maybe we ask. What is the importance and the relevance of the incarnation? Why did it have to be so that the incarnation happened? Couldn't God have forgiven us some other way? And the conclusion that St. Athanasius gives is no, it could not have been any other way. This is the only way that Christ could have restored and renewed us again. And glory be to God forever. Amen.